Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. We'll get started right away. So this week down in El Paso County, Colorado, uh, it seems there was a mass resignation of their volunteer fire department. They, they, they claimed that it was a hostile work environment for firefighters. Super vague on what they were actually uh, talking about, but there, there are some different scenarios swirling around. Uh, so there was a tweet posted on the crew's official Twitter account, uh, the El Paso County Wildland Fire account. And coming from Wildfire Today, it says, uh, A message posted February 11th on the Twitter account of the Wildland Fire crew in El Paso County, Colorado, stated that 18 volunteer firefighters on the crew mass resigned. Uh, A follow-up tweet then said, The environment became hostile to the volunteers and they felt they were no longer needed or wanted. In response to the tweets uh, about the resignations, the sheriff's office, which is in charge of the fire resources and jurisdictions uh, in El Paso County and most Colorado, uh, issued a response to what they described as an unauthorized, inaccurate tweet from the EPC Wildland Fire Twitter account. Uh, The response uh, posted below... There have been some resignations, but members of the EPC Wildland Fire Team, uh, the information posted was not accurate. The statement did not specify what the inaccurate, uh, what was inaccurate in the tweets uh, about the resignations. The sheriff's office posted uh, today an unknown person posted to the El Paso County Wildland Fire Twitter account a message that 18 volunteer firefighters resigned in mass. Uh, Subsequent information posted to the same tweet by an unknown Wildland Fire Twitter account user indicated the resignations were due to a hostile environment. It further referenced a letter letter detailing grievances that uh, were delivered to the sheriff. We are looking into the source of these tweets. While there have been some resignations by members of the EPC Wildland Fire team, the information posted was not accurate. So... It's kind of a back and forth tit and tat what actually is going on down here. Uh, It seems if you go to the El Paso County Sheriff's Office page uh, and you go under their wildland fire management general information, uh, it'll tell you that El Paso County wildland fire management is a combination of career and volunteer members comprised of citizens from the El Paso County and the surrounding areas dedicated to saving lives and property that are affected by fire. So all of this stuff is under the sheriff's office, uh, both paid and volunteer folks. What has been going around is there was either uh, budgetary restraints, they weren't getting the equipment that they needed, Um, But I've also been hearing rumblings of the county was mandating uh, jabs for all of their first responders, the firefighters, sheriff's office, all of this as well. And these uh, volunteers uh, didn't want to do that or were against it or were uh, standing up with individuals who were against it uh, for their uh, own bodily autonomy and uh, not wanting to uh, go forward with that mandate. Uh, but it could could it be just someone, a disgruntled employee, posted this as well? Maybe, but the sheriff did admit that resignations had been happening 
Um, and we are we are at the time where all of these mandate deadlines that were postponed are now coming back into play. I'm sure more news will come out of that. I do have a buddy down, uh, not in El Paso County, but in another county down in Colorado, who is a volunteer firefighter uh, for one of their cities, and they don't have a jab mandate, but it is county-based in the county in Colorado that this individual lives in, the county itself does not have a mandate. So I would assume that that then uh, umbrellas down to the different departments and services that are in that county. So it's interesting. Um, You hate to see it and you hope it can be resolved and uh, the pieces can be put back together. But we've been seeing this over the last year or so where individuals get a lot of pushback from the the overhead systems and it's you know people have a, a point in which they aren't going to go any further they're not going to go any further hey this is this is my red line so maybe that's what's going on down there maybe not but more news will come out and uh, we'll try to keep you updated if we hear if uh, they refill their rosters down there uh next I saw this uh, article posted again on wildfire today but it's it's a it's a good article but the it's data manipulation in my mind so the article is covid was the leading cause of deaths on wildfires in 2021 according to report so what report is that it's the 2021 wildland fire lessons learned center fatality report In the article, it says the Wildland Fire Lessons Learned Center has released their annual review of incidents from last year. The 10-page report discusses lessons learned from seven categories of injuries. The LLC report states that there were 23 fatalities, line-of-duty deaths connected with wildland fires in 2021. Six of those, so six, uh, 26% of total fatalities were caused by COVID. So right there, I'm already going to hit the pause button. I've read the report and then I pulled up the fatality reports for these individuals and we should probably take a look at them. In the report, it does not say uh, if they had died with or because of. Uh, And the majority of these deaths by COVID or with COVID Uh, seem to be in California. And in California, uh, most coroner reports over the last year and a half, uh, if the individual tests positive for COVID at the time of admission into the hospital or at time of death, that uh, COVID will be put as the official cause of death uh, or likely cause of death on that coroner's report. So we'll just go through kind of what risk group these individuals were in Uh, They were all older males. I believe the oldest was 67, uh, was one of them. Uh, Another was 53 years old. Oh, I take that back. The oldest was 68. Another was a 68-year-old male. Um, And I believe the youngest one out of the six that uh, were designated as a COVID death uh, was 41. So six individuals, 41 through 68 years of age. And really the article goes on to say that we should be making a bigger deal about this and 
COVID is now the number one risk for firefighters in the field. And, you know, we should take a closer look, get out the magnifying glass. More funding should be going into this and what things are being put in place to mitigate all of these issues. Really, you know, prayers to the family and friends of these individuals. Uh, You know, I understand it is a tragedy, but when you get down to it, they're 68 years old on the fire line. In some of the reports, they said that there was exertion and exhaustion involved. Um, In some of them, there was smoke inhalation uh, cited in the medical report when administered to the hospital. I don't have all the nitty-gritty details, but uh, I just think that the report was put out. It's hard to believe there's not any politics behind the scenes. And they made a graph with a big red bar with the word COVID underneath it to really accentuate uh, what's going on there. Really, what I think we should be paying attention to is all the other numbers. Four deaths from just medical, I assume exertion, heart attack. Three deaths from vehicle accident. This could be nearly eliminated. Is it fatigue? Is it bad road conditions? Is it distracted driving? That number could be almost zero every year if we hammer that stuff. Uh, Two individuals from falls... Two from aviation, Uh, there was an entrapment, an individual was hit by a tree, and of course, the jump fatality that happened. I think all of these other numbers deserve, and I'm not saying the individuals deserve more attention, I'm saying the incidents in which these occurred deserve more attention. Then the six COVID deaths that occurred. That's that's just me, you know, that's just me. But I think it's something we need to start talking about because there was a lot of policy put in place the last two years that if you don't start peeling back an onion, uh, you'll never get back to where you started from. And you're just, you're just adding more into a complex environment that... Uh, doesn't need more uh, confusion and clutter. But enough about all of that. There's a couple fires in California happening. Uh, one up in Big Sur, beautiful view, uh, and some other ones that are uh, busting around for a few hundred and a thousand acres. We had a new predictive services map come out. Basically, you're looking at the south-southwest, a little higher than normal. And then as the year creeps along, so does that red blob uh, going north and west. Uh, Alaska, call me up. I know you have fires every year. Uh, So that should be a fun one as well. But moving on, let's talk about preseason. Everybody's worried about, am I going to be fit enough? Am I not fit enough? What do I need to do? Am I going to get hired? Why haven't they called? I missed out on that perm position. Am I going to have to tell my supervisor I got the perm position I wanted and now I have to leave? 
So that's kind of what's going on. Hiring has kind of moved on into the permanent staff hiring. Seasonals are mostly on, but a couple uh, districts, a couple shot crews, a couple engines are doing their second round of hiring uh, to try to fill some gaps that have occurred in the January and early February months, which is going to happen. Uh, having built many manifests myself, it just doesn't always stay solidified when you have a manifest built at the end of January and the beginning of February. Then other calls start coming in, movement starts happening, and uh, you have to rebuild uh, the gaps going through. But on to training, the biggest thing is just make a plan. Write something down, get it laid out, and try to follow it, get pushed through it. My first year going into a hotshot crew, I kind of knew what to expect. At the time, my good buddy was on the crew I was joining. I'd already had two years of fire under my belt. A family member had been a hotshot for 12 years. So I kind of knew what to expect, and I, I, I kind of had the advantage of, of knowing that going into the season. I still probably could have ran more, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, but other than that, I knew what to expect on the hikes. I knew what to expect uh, in the parking lot of the shop. I knew what to expect in the saw shop. And uh, that kind of played to my advantage. But uh, there's a lot of people who don't know what to do. And I've seen some kind of wild training regimens, I'll say, uh, going into the hotshot season. Like someone who's just going to strap 75 pounds on their back and ram up a mountain, uh, and they haven't really done any weighted hike training before. And then they get demoralized and injure themselves, and that's tough going forward. But once you get into a routine, you write something down, and you make it work, you can uh, follow it super easily. And then you get more motivated, because then you start seeing, as they say, gains. And once you see gains you get even more motivated and you can expand on what you have already started. Kind of in my experience, uh, I was the type to kind of take it overboard, not Boise jumper overboard, but a little overboard where I just wanted to be at the top. You know, I didn't want to uh, be that guy. I didn't want to break off. So my first year, it was pretty chill, hanging on the gym. I'm running the mile and a half. I'm hiking with weight. I'll hike up a ski hill but my next coming years, I wanted that edge. Uh, so I changed my whole regimen. I bought a, I bought myself a juicer, which in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done so much of that uh, just because of the um, uh, sugar intake that it eventually was. Uh, but I wrote myself a plan. I was going to do two a days, uh, five days a week. And then on the sixth day, uh, work uh, heavy weights and then rest. And then all I was going to do in between that was rest and eat. And uh, low stress leisure life was the plan. Uh, so I would wake up and uh, I live in a place where there's seasons. So, you know, in the off season, it gets cold. But I would wake up, I would uh, juice vegetables, beets. Uh, basically, I, I juiced anything I could find, drank a glass of that. I would hit a protein shake. Then I would do minimum five-mile run. 
get home. I would then eat breakfast, read the news, hang out, probably take a two-hour nap, wake up, drink another protein shake, have lunch, uh, recheck the news, take another nap, wake up, go to the gym, hit a workout, protein shake after that workout, and then I would go find myself someplace to eat dinner and watch a hockey game and hang out. And then I would rinse and repeat that. That started feeling really good, but I wanted another edge. So I went out and bought a elevation gas mask. And if you've never used one of these things, they are claustrophobic at first. It, as advertised, it's hard to breathe in them. And they're kind of a little creepy when you're wearing a gas mask around uh, running and jump roping and hanging out on a treadmill in the gym. People complain. But I started running around with that in town. It would start snowing. I'd strap on the elevation mask and go run around town. I would bring it to the gym and I would really just use it for my warm-ups to get my heart rate up and my lungs working. Uh, in my warm-up, I would run a half a mile in the mask jump rope in the mask and just kind of move around the gym in it and then uh, strip it off for the harder workouts, put it back on to maintain a higher uh, diaphragm stress rate to build those small diaphragm muscles to strengthen my core and lung capacity. Anyway, people started complaining when I would leave the gym, the front desk would ask if I had a Darth Vader mask that I was wearing around. Uh, But after I explained everything to these people. Uh, They thought it was hilarious, and the gym patrons continued to stare. One thing you don't want to do, though, is I would just, at nighttime, if I was cooking or whatever, watching some TV, I would throw it on, um, but you don't want to fall asleep in the thing because it's uh, very difficult to breathe in it, and uh, But I would, I'd have like the 10,000 foot canister on and I would be cooking dinner at 10,000 feet plus where I was at that elevation. And you got a pretty decent uh, elevated workout just uh, chopping up some onions. And on top of that, I would consume uh, copious amounts of pine pollen, which uh, helped as well. And you really just get into crazy good shape. But I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I planned it out and had everything uh, set forth uh, right in front of me in my planner, notebook, whiteboard, whatever you're going to use. My main point here is have a plan. Uh, It's a lot easier if you have someone to plan with. Uh, if you live with uh, another hotshot on your crew, you guys live in the same town, uh, guys or gals, you go to the same gym, uh, you need to get with each other and make it uh, make a plan and make it work. Keep each other accountable going forward. Uh, also, if you're brand new, you should probably contact your immediate supervisor And if you are totally clueless of what the crew expects, you need to call and ask and uh, they'll they'll tell you. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll play with you a little bit and tell you that, uh, well, what are you doing? What do you think is, what do you think is appropriate for our type of crew? And then they'll make you sweat on the phone uh, for a while and then maybe they'll throw you a bone and tell you what they do. Again, there are running crews, there's hiking crews, 
there's CrossFit crews, there's crews that do all of those things. So find out what it is, make a call and make a plan and go from there. Uh, Another thing I want to touch on is the end of hiring here. There are positions still moving around, as I mentioned earlier. Um, But just my whole point here is don't get discouraged if you didn't get what what you want. There's still folks that are going to be getting phone calls above you and there will still be movement. Someone will get picked up in a jump spot or someone will get a detailed FMO position here and there and uh, there will still be some movement. The hope is that you get moved into that position permanently and not uh, lose out on everything that you were wanting uh, out of that position. And lastly, folks, it's kind of, I don't want to say disappointing, but its its I guess I expected it. I, I truly did expect it, but I was trying to remain hopeful on this whole issue. But the Tim Hart Act... Uh, the Wildland uh, Fair Pay Act is kind of stuck in the mud in Congress right now. There's still a lot of chatter on it in the fire world, but when it comes to action and words in our state houses, there's not a whole lot. Uh, it is the single greatest piece of legislation I've seen for wildland firefighters period. The single greatest piece of legislation for wildland firefighters. And it's kind of stalled out. Like I said, I expected this when I first saw it. Lots of promises. After the Granite Mountain fatalities, our current president was the one who gave the speech at the funerals of those individuals and grand promises were made uh, by President Biden, who was Vice President Biden at the time. And at the time, he was making promises that were similar to what is in uh, the Wildland Fair Pay Act or TIMS Act. And he is now in office and holds the executive pen for this. He has not really even mentioned this the senators who are sponsoring the bill have kind of gone quiet on this and another session of congress just continues on you know i am i disappointed yeah but i kind of expected this it's just another push it down the road push it down the road hire on another season we're locked in okay push it down the road Then you throw in all of the hiring snafus that have happened in the last month and a half. Departments saying you can hire this person, you can't hire this person on specific medical procedures that they've had. And now now everything that's come out over the last few months that a lot have been screaming about for the last couple years they had to pull back and now it's in the courts and now departments are saying it's illegal for us not to hire people who haven't had specific medical procedures, which is laughable when you really just think about it. But it's just the way it goes. It's a bureaucracy 
the gears at the top, the large gears move slowest while we at the bottom move fastest. And it just takes uh, too much time, in my opinion, to get any of this stuff done. Anyway, as I rant on about that, everybody get out there. Uh, get yourself a workout in. Remember to hydrate and stretch. Reach out to your homies. Let them know that uh, everything's good. Ask them if they are good. And uh, keep the community strong. Thanks, folks. Uh-huh.